listen, like I always say, there's nothing to bring the roses to the cheeks like chick trouble. I mean chick trouble. Oh, wow. <laughs> Get off my back. Get off my back. What? You mean we're on the air? Holy smokes! You mean that got out on the air? I'm gonna fire the entire floor here! <laughs> Hello, friends. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, George. <laughs> this is Uncle Fred Bobsey, and uh, I'm here to uh, dandle you on my knee and uh, whisper little sweet nothings into your shell-like ear. <laughs> oh, it's kind of nice, isn't it, friends? Like, like uh, Charles Boyer uh, always says, Love is a ball. <laughs> Not bad, is it? That's almost as good as uh, Joey Carter or Bobby Carter or Jackie Joey or Joey Marty. Or all them other guys that you see on the Ed Sullivan Show all the time. <laughs> You want to hear my famous uh, imitation of Eugene Pallette? Huh? You want to hear that? No daughter of mine's going to marry a pita. So is your old man. I don't like to take that kind of jazz. You're getting it free, you snob. Never look a gift horse in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, what is it you're not supposed to look a gift horse in? Oh, it can't be that. What do you mean? That's terrible. There's kids listening. Holy smokes. We've got to clear the slate now. We've got to wipe the whole slate clean. Mario, quick, wipe the slate clean there. Okay, let's go. Here, gang. Oh, St. Louis woman, where your diamond rings got a Terrible way to get this night started. I mean, everybody's so serious about you know something around here. And let's, uh, we've got so many commercials here tonight. Let's get let's get them out of the way very fast. So let's, let's just hit them in the eye. Quick, there goes a the guy. He's trying to get away. Get him. Get him. You've quick. been building great racing cars for years. The way <laughs> Colin Chapman has, it's more than a profession. It's a passion. And Colin Chapman passionately protects oh, every precious part of the complex passion. machinery he builds. Uh, racing engines need the finest protection, and I always insist on STP in my cars because I, I know it protects their performance. It blends with the motor passion. oil to keep it from thinning out under pressure. That's I found that engines always run their best with STP. STP oil treatment is the racer's edge, and it keeps your family car running racer oh. sharp, too. Just have your service station add STP to your oil. STP keeps any car, old or new, running smoother, cooler, quieter, longer. This year at the Indianapolis 500, drivers Graham Hill and Jimmy Clark will be counting on it. 
Both our Lotuses here at India are running on STP. Race engines take a terrific lot of punishment running flat out during the whole 500 miles. STP keeps the oil from thinning under heat and pressure, and it can mean the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. STP is the racer's edge. Did he say STP is the racer's edge? Wait till Somerset Mom hears that. What a terrible pun. Wasn't it Somerset Mom? Indeed, he You know, speaking of racing, uh, oh, it's coming up, I'll tell you. The madness, the insanity, the wildness is beginning to show. Uh, I'm sure that out in Indiana right now, there are probably 200,000 people hiding in bushes, sitting on the running boards of old Oldsmobiles, lined up into the darkness with their tents pitched, with their feet hurting, with their women complaining, with the kids crying, lined up, <laughs> lined up in the darkness, waiting for that big cannon to go up. Hey, you know, that reminds me, tomorrow night at the limelight, I think I'm going to do a Memorial Racing Day show, huh? You, you think I ought to tell the stories? You know, uh, I, I never told you this, Mario, but there was one point in my very checkered career... Right after I got out of the Army, uh, I got a summer job, and I was one of those guys who was one of the one of the announcers, when I say one, because I had about 10 or 12, one of the announcers at the big oval, at the big brickyard there in Indianapolis of the Big 500. Did you know that, Mario? Now, that adds a little to you. Know, that's something John Gambling cannot say. Ah, sir. I've been there and back. I've seen a lot of things. And... Uh, I was one of these guys, you know, there was always an anchor man. See, he's, uh, he's in the main grandstand in this clubhouse, air conditioning, of course. You know, they're bringing up the martinis and they're bringing up the mint juleps all, you know, all afternoon. All. He's sitting up there and he's always saying, well, there uh, looks like a little trouble down on the north turn. Uh, Bre come in, Charlie Brownstein on the north turn. And then Brownstein... <laughs> We're having a little technical difficulty with Charlie on the north turn. He got run over, of course. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, I, I was I was one of those guys. I was way out on the back stretch all the time, which was like the slums. You know that there are various key places uh, that they always want to go on. You know, there's always a lot of action on the on the south turn and on the north turn. But the, when you're on the back stretch, nothing happens but mosquitoes. And uh, a lot of sound, a lot of noise, a lot of castor oil in your ears. And about every two hours, they would come to me. They'd say, uh, and now uh, let's see how Gene Shepard is doing out there on the backstretch. I didn't even hear my cue, see. <laughs> there I'm standing. My engineer is half asleep, and these cars are thundering by about 14 feet away from me. And every time they'd go by, you'd feel, you know, you're so close to them. And most people are used to seeing things from a distance, but you're so close to them. When you're doing the, the race announcements, or at least they used to be, I don't know if they still do it now, but you're so close to them that when each one goes by, you can feel the heat. Believe it or not, and oh boy, these babies run at about 200 about 200 degrees all the time. They're right just below the boiling point. In fact, if one of these things slows up a little bit and doesn't get enough air coming in over the, uh, coming in through the scoops and uh, through the uh, through the mesh and the screens and so on, forget it. She just uh, she just boils up and that's the end of it. Out out the window your race goes. So you got to keep it moving. Say, and the heat. Oh, these things they go past you like like some kind of a meteor. And uh, as they do, they go past breathing this heat. You can just feel that flashy heat go by. 
He's gone. So you see this guy coming down. And, you, and, and you know, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know whether you know this, but there's a lot of superstitions about racing. And uh, one of the superstitions that was around for a long time, I don't suppose it still existed in the Annapolis ever since the British cars have been driving there, uh, but one of the, one of the uh, oldest of all the uh, traditions there, superstitions was, that it is the worst fantastic bad luck. Do you know what what is their worst bad luck idea? In other words, you know, most people think of bad luck. You walk under a ladder or you see a black cat or something like that. But at the Oval, I'm talking about the big brickyard. They call it the brickyard. The big Oval at Indianapolis. What do you think is their number one superstition? Or it used to be. Now, I, I presume that's been changed since the British cars have come in. Now, I've given you a cue, or a clue, rather, as to... That's right. That they, they consider the absolute worst thing that can happen to a guy is to paint his car green. Yeah, over the years, uh, you know how these superstitions grow. Over the years, these guys had begun to notice that every time a green car was entered, 15 minutes later after the race started, that car was up in the trees somewhere. <laughs> or out back. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, I saw one. I'll tell you, I saw one one time. Of course, we could go on and on, talk about these accidents and so on. But, you know, I was at the track one year. I did, I did these races three years, and I was at the track one year. It was the middle year. And uh, we were down the pits, and uh, of course the 33 cars enter. Uh, there are a lot of cars that try to get into this race, but only 33 finally qualify, and uh, they qualify by position, of course, by their trials and their time speeds and how high the speed is they qualify. And the guy that qualified with the highest average qualifying speed has the number one pole position, and they go all the way on down in rows of three, and they're kind of uh, canted rows. They, they're not straight rows; they're canted, and they go all the way down. To 33, of course, that's that's 11 rows of three cars each, and the pace car paces them. It's usually a big symbolic pace car. They get a they get a great big uh, every year. They have uh, this year. I think it's a Ford, isn't it? Something like a what? A Camaro this year, huh? Well, you know, they, every year it's a different car, and so they they uh, the first lap is is a symbolic lap, and uh, they parade. It's like the parade of the races uh, race horses. At, uh, at Aqueduct before a big race. You know, they take them around the track and everybody can sit and look at them. Well, the first lap, this big cannon goes off. It goes, <coughs> and you see this guy draw out into the lane, and they always have dignitary types. You know, they have, they'll have, they have, uh, uh, or the governor, they'll have some big visiting politician or something. And they go around this track just once. See, they, they cut out, and he leads them down the track. Now, they have to have a car. Now, here's the thing about it. Maybe you don't know about this, this, uh, first lap. These are racing cars, you know. And any time one of these highly tuned racing cars, especially the rear engine types with, uh, with cooling problems, which the rear engine cars do have, uh, they cannot go under 100 miles an hour for any length of time without getting so hot they just stop going. You know, they just, uh, they just won't go. So that pace car has to go out around that track at roughly uh, anywhere between 105 down to possibly 95 miles an hour. It's about the slowest they can ever really do it. And so they get this car. It's all tuned up, you know. And when you're sitting up in the stands, it looks like they're just going around slow because you've been seeing these race cars. Usually before the race, a couple of guys will get out there for a last-minute tune-up, and they'll go whipping around there at 145, 150, 165 miles an hour. Well, all of a sudden, the cannon goes, hey, is this boring? You know, it's a <laughs> I don't know how I got started on this. The, the cannon goes off, you know, pow. 
and the band, you know, there's always a big symbol, and the balloons go up. They have 40 million balloons, which they release, and all those balloons go up all over, and the, the balloons have all kinds of prizes in them, and they're red, white, and blue, and green, and yellow balloons, and they take off millions of them, and it's just a real colorful thing. And then they used to shoot off about 45 skyrockets, you know, and the place, you never saw such crowds. I don't think there is any sporting event, this smoke and the steam and this pulverized brick, by the way, coming back at them. If this car is smooth enough, it's like glass. It's very difficult to stick onto it. And so the morning before the race, uh, these guys go over these cars with, uh, literally with a fine tooth comb. I mean, they, they, they polish this thing until you can hardly look at it in the sun. It's magnificent finish all the way down. And then they remove, uh, they're always trying to take that last ounce off the car. Not because it makes it go faster. It's because it makes it safer. That every additional pound on an automobile gives you like 86 million more pounds of centrifugal force when that baby begins to spin. You know, most people think the heavier a car, the, the, the safer it is. No, I'm sorry. Not so. That the minute you start sliding or spinning, the weight that you've got becomes a terrible, terrible uh, drawback. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's centrifugal force. I could tell you the uh, formula, but when one of these cars is going 175 miles an hour and she begins to slide sideways at the, at the, uh, and centrifugal force takes over, uh, you can figure the fantastic power that's pushing that car sideways. And each pound, of course, is multiplied by uh, x teen over 2 times the square root of this numbers of times. And so these guys are removing everything. And so when the driver is out there driving, he has very, very small amount of clothing even, even, even the extra pound of clothing, you see. And he has a very, very small, usually they just wear uh, maybe a very, just underwear perhaps, under that very thin uh, silk or nylon coverall, which is flash-proof, by the way, that coverall is uh, supposedly fireproof. It provides a kind of shield against fire, flash explosions and one thing or another. Now, the, uh, the steering wheels that they use, you're probably curious about that, but they, you've no doubt seen pictures of these wheels. But uh, the wheel really is, uh, it, it doesn't work much like the car wheel that you're used to using. Uh, this wheel is, is so direct, uh, the connection between you and the front wheels are so direct that it really isn't, a steering wheel in the sense that you're used to a steering wheel. It's more or less like a little extension of your mind. <laughs> they, they, they hold out of these things. Did you notice that, that one driver, for example, uh, who is driving in this coming race, uh, has all the fingers off of his left hand? Did you see that guy? He has no fingers on his left hand. He lost all the fingers. I think he's only got perhaps a part of the thumb. But he has no fingers on the left hand. Well, you figure, how can this guy hold the steering wheel, say? And they've really got to hold that steering wheel. This is not, you don't drive with one hand hanging out. You know, that one of the great funny bits that they always laugh about are these old racing movies that Jimmy Cagney always used to make. You remember with, uh, with uh, Frank Hale sitting next to him, Alan Hale or Frank McHugh, the, the, the trusty mechanic. And their car is burning. They're coming into the last lap, and he's winning the race for, for uh, good old, uh, it's usually somebody like Lewis Stone and his daughter was Priscilla Lane. And uh, the last, that's oh my God! You know, he's, and he's usually an old-time race driver making a comeback. And they gave him this car, and he's coming in, and the car's on fire, and Frank McHugh is pumping it. <laughs> and uh, they always laugh because there's always these scenes, long scenes, where where uh, it seems that Jimmy Cagney spends most of his time looking at the grandstand, 
to see whether uh, Priscilla Lane is appreciating it or he keeps looking back all the time to see what the other cars are doing. Well, uh, it isn't quite like that. You know, they have a big rearview mirror on the side for that purpose, and you don't spend much time looking the other way when you're going 175 miles an hour on that brick oval. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this guy with the hand, with uh, his fingers are up, he designed a special kind of glove that fits over the left hand that has a socket in it. And that socket is then attached to a little ball socket on one spoke of his wheel. And he just attaches it down like a snap and, you know, like a, a little snap socket on a, on a convertible or something. He just snaps it down, and that way he can, he can operate this car. Uh, that's how maniacal these guys get about this field. I remember one little incident. I'm going to tell you a little thing. I don't think uh, I don't think I've ever told this story. But one day, uh, among other race drivers that I have known in the past and and uh, had doings with, was Sam Hanks, one of the great race drivers of all time. You've heard of Sam Hanks, haven't you? Great race driver. This is a true professional. Now there are some guys that that come up for a year or two and they're they're really nothing better than really talented amateurs. You know, they, they, they win a couple of races and they got the pizzazz of being 19 years old. And they, uh, they come up and uh, they play second in Indianapolis and they do a great job for a couple of years. And then they gradually disappear. But Hanks was a professional in the same way. He just retired a year or two ago in the same way that Ernie Banks is a professional ball player. You don't read much about Banks, you know, but but uh, take a look at the record book, you know. Year in and year out, he's there and uh, doing a fabulous thing. And this is the way with Sam Hanks. And Hanks looked a little like, and still does, I'm sure, he looked a little like uh, Gary Cooper. He had that, that, that laconic, uh, slit-eyed, uh, crinkly-faced, the bronzed look, just exactly the way you think a race driver should look. Now, the other guys didn't look that way. For example, Troy Rutman whom I also knew, did not look like a race driver. Uh, beefy, sort of beefy, clunky guy, you know, uh, crew cut and uh, sort of a... But boy, what a fanatical race driver. When he first came up, he was a nut, wild nut. Uh, one of the biggest race drivers physically. Uh, but Sam Hanks was not very big. He was about probably 5 feet 10, very thin-faced, very quiet, extremely dignified. Uh, just exactly the opposite of what you would think, uh, you know, the nut, the speed and all the whole scene... Very quiet. Well, one day, I'm, I'm at a racetrack in uh, Dayton, and uh, I was there, and I was there with Sam Hanks. An odd little thing happened. That uh, uh, This was before the race, and it was uh, they were racing Indy cars. It was a big car race, and uh, I was out down in the pit, and in, in Sam Hanks's pit that day, and, and Hanks was out running the car. He was out they were doing something with a carburation, and he took this baby around about three times around the track. And the fourth time, uh, he gave him the nod, and they gave him the nod, and they, okay, then open her up. Let's see, you know, let's get her going here because they're going to race in about two hours. And he just they're turning this thing on. Well, she she dug in. This was a Curtis Craft, this car, offy, with an Offenhauser engine in it. And you didn't know I knew all about this, did you, Mary? So uh, he, he booted this baby, and I'm standing, and there was nobody there yet. The, 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 the stands were just sort of filling up, and he kicked the thing, and she, wow, boy, she took off. And Sam went into that first turn, and he screamed around. He opened her up in the back, there's no timing, you see. And he come whistling down that back stretch, and then he came into the far turn, and he beautiful, controlled. Oh, this guy was, a, was as smooth as uh, you-know-what. I almost said it. it. Has to do with cats. He was smooth. I'll tell you, uh, no sweat on Sam Hanks. He just drove like you know. He drove like most people sleep. 
naturally. <laughs> no problem to it. And he came whistling into that home stretch, and he screamed past us. He must have been going, uh, and that was a smaller track, so he can get a, couldn't get up the top speeds that he could at Indy. But he was he was probably going about oh maybe 160, 155, and uh, which is not uh, not not the top speed for these guys. It's just uh, cool. And, so he he uh, goes in again. He comes into the into the first turn, and you can see he's slowing it down. It's going boom, boom, boom. Oh, I love the sound of these babies when they when they uh, when they uh, just let up on the on the accelerator. And and this offie is unwinding. You see, and you can hear him coming into the back stretch, and he's going boom, 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 boom. And he shifts. <laughs> he comes down into the far turn. Boom, boom, And these engines, they're particular. This particular kind of Offenhauser engine has a rough, raw sound. Uh, the Offie, up to the time of the the uh, rear engine cars of a few years ago, which was the big revolution that occurred, the Offenhauser engine was the racing engine, no doubt about it. A uh, magnificent piece of equipment built by, the, by Offenhauser, an ex-racer himself. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.